Hi, I'm Dan Pramack, and welcome to Axios Recap's special series on America's business comeback. Today's Thursday, May 27th. New jobless claims are down, sports arena attendance is up, and we're focused on one small business community in Georgia. One of the hallmarks of American small businesses is that they're woven into the fabric of a community, as integral as the local schools or parks. And that isn't often just about a single store or restaurant. It's about local small businesses as a community themselves, helping to define a place and the people who live there. Now, this can be particularly true in areas with large immigrant populations, where the small businesses play multiple roles, economic engines, as well as safe spaces where people can meet, greet, and eat. Kind of a constellation of home away from homes. So today we wanted to focus on one such area in particular, Buford Highway a 10-mile stretch of state road just northeast of Atlanta. For more than 40 years, it's been home to more than 1,000 immigrant-owned businesses, with local residents tracing their roots back to dozens of countries. Many of its acclaimed restaurants and cafes are owned and operated by Asian and Latino business owners. And those small business owners along Buford Highway had a very hard year in the pandemic, each in their own way. And then, in March 2021, tragedy struck the metro Atlanta area, the spa murders, which targeted people of Asian descent and forced the entire nation to reckon with a wave of anti-Asian hate crimes. So today we want to speak with Lily Pabian, executive director of the nonprofit group We Love Buford Highway, about the community's resilience and what its members have experienced over the past year plus. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Lily Pabian, executive director of We Love Buford Highway, a nonprofit dedicated to preserving the multicultural identity of Atlanta's Buford Highway. Lily, how long have you been involved with Buford Highway? Buford Highway was our family's first home when we first immigrated here. My parents came from Taiwan to New York, and then this is where we came down here. So it's been home, forever home. It's been a second home. It's a place where we are connected to our heritage. So it's just a really, real personal place. My father was an entrepreneur who was in the distribution business wholesale, but not a brick and mortar per se. He played a big role in terms of creating community. When we came down here back in the late 70s, it was predominantly blue collar, white, and you really didn't have the multicultural demographics as you do over the years. 2020 was obviously a difficult year for small business owners throughout the country, but can you just talk about, at the beginning of the pandemic, what entrepreneurs on Buford Highway were facing? We are home to the Atlanta Chinatown, and every year we have a lunar festival, and every year it grows to the point where... When I was little, you get to come in and people knew who you were. You didn't have to pay to get in. To fast forward, you know, 25 years and it's almost like a New York subway getting in for food and this cultural experience. What we witnessed in 2020 at the end of January was just a huge decline of participants. And from there, you just started seeing the impact of the national narrative, the xenophobic words and stories of the China flu or the, you know, all of that, Kung flu, whatever. It really did impact our API businesses. We saw a dip as high as 40% back in February. And we just continue to see that dip as shelter in place was happening and people had a pivot. So it, it was a huge impact. As things progressed last year, how was the pandemic experienced on Buford Highway by the small business owners there? 
you know, really looking at it through the multicultural lens, right? The two major demographics are Latinos and AAPIs, right? And they're very, very different experiences. I think what our Latino communities experienced was, you know, these are people and communities that are frontline workers and they immediately they didn't have access to testing. They didn't have access to a lot of resources. Um, and so all of that really impacted the family life. And, you know, people lost jobs. People were so afraid that they were going to get evicted. Even though it was illegal, they were still getting evicted. And so, you know, there's that perspective and those barriers. For the business owners, it was just having to constantly reinvent yourself or you reinvent your operations and not knowing where it's really going to go. I mean, we all have a sense of a horizon and particularly entrepreneurs, right? What our bottom line is. But when that catches you, it's like something pulling, like you're, you're just taken down at your knees, you know, because you really are in a situation where you're so vulnerable, but you still have to keep marching forward. I think what we're going to see in the near future is that the emotional toll that is taken the spa shooting in March of 2021 obviously brought immense tragedy to the area. How did it impact the business owners on Buford Highway? We immediately, as communities, start talking about safety, you know. And so I think through other nonprofits and through government advocates, they started thinking, what does security look like? as an Asian American business owner here. We had talks on the city of Dorville, actually their chief of police and up through DeKalb County, just, you know, finding ways where we can really support each other and figure out what the pain points are, realize that there was, that Asians were being targeted. So there was just a lot of awareness, discussions and learnings from that. There's this one very famous Vietnamese hole in the wall place that we just adore they made the hard decision saying, you know, we don't feel safe. We don't know if it's specifically, you know, COVID or anti-Asian, but they made the decision to close. But we recently, we saw them reopen, make an announcement they were opening up. Are there anecdotes or stories you've heard from small business owners about their experience over the past year plus that have particularly stayed with you? I think that from the beginning, you know, of us going through the anti-Asian you know, narrative a year ago in front of Chinatown, there were people that were picketing against, you know, Chinese businesses and things like that. All of these anecdotes, I don't know if there was like a certain percentage or, you know, I don't have those data points, but, you know, I get a call from a food stall person saying, hey, there are people that are picketing saying that, you know, we need to go back to China and that we you're taking their businesses away. I mean, that's just a hard thing to come to work to, you know, to people getting calls of, hey, are you serving bat soup or, you know, whatever, to people that are like, why do I have to wear a mask? I'm the customer. I'm always right. I mean, then hearing another business owner saying that his staff has been like, not even know what to say to customers anymore because they're so afraid of saying the wrong thing that's going to take them down some political you know, battle or whatever, you know. So I guess through all of these anecdotes and these stories that that they share with us through our organization, I think it's fair to say that it definitely rocked us. It continues to rock us because you don't know what's ahead. You know, if we're looking at it from a global perspective, we know that there's things that are happening between China and the U.S. And people don't realize that it does impact the grassroots communities because at this point, the China hate, and really that's what it is, right, is Asian hate. 
But the fact that we're not monolith, it adds to that complexity. So part of us trying to define it and figuring it out is, is it's a complex issue. It's not just an easy answer, you know? And so it's multi-generational, it's multi-countries, it's multi-everything. And so we are trying to navigate it in a way we all have to move forward. We all have to work. We all have to make a living, right? Life never stopped for these restaurant owners. It might have paused, but it didn't stop. If we're only talking about restaurant owners, right? I think it was just, it was a testament to the resiliency, but also the ability to kind of take your time through something. And that was a tough place to be. Lily, at this point, what are you focused on for Buford Highway's post-pandemic future? Business development and business retention. Those are the two things that we really want to focus on. It's about getting real stakeholders, people that own properties, municipalities, just getting to the table, say, how do we make this easier and more welcoming for immigrants to do businesses here? We've had such a long history of that. And so how do we really do something that's going to ensure the sustainability of this culture we have here, you know? One of the things that I remember my mother used to say, she's like, we need somebody to relight Beaufort Highway. Because there was a time when it was just booming. And, and I remember going to Plaza Fiesta, you feel like you're in a different world. But it was such a beautiful thing. And so how do we continue to foster that is really what our goals are. We are 501c3 and we have three major pillars. One is story, which is our oral history project. This time last year, people were not interested in stories. People were interested in surviving. Last year, we fed 66,000 people. So we wanted to make sure that we were addressing food insecurity issues that were very unique to our communities. We have probably about 40,000 undocumented immigrants here. Now we're moving into this vaccine role and we've just finished up four mobile events where we vaccinated 600 people, their first doses. A lot of times people are like, oh, there's so much hesitancy. And we're like, no, it's access. We had six languages represented through translators and had all of our languages in there at the gate. We didn't get to grow up in the countries of origins that our parents did. I mean, this is the story of immigrants, right? But this place really represents so much of that for us. It's such a huge anchor. And it's something that we want to be able to have for generations to come. Thank you to Lily Pabian, Executive Director of We Love Buford Highway. Welcome back. For this week's series of special episodes, we're ending with quick conversations with iconic American small businesses. Today, that business is the Pike Place Fish Market in Seattle, best known as that big open-air marketplace where fishmongers are known for chanting in unison and then tossing their customers' orders to each other before wrapping them up. I spoke with Ryan Reese, who's been a fishmonger at Pike Place since 2010. Ryan, is there one kind of anecdote or story that you think kind of sums up your pandemic experience at the fish market? We had people from all around the country that have visited us, that have bought fish from us over the years. And when this pandemic hit, they did not want us going out of business. They came out in droves to support us. When it came to the actual operations, how much did you guys have to change starting last March? I mean, we're known for throwing the fish and we have not thrown a fish in over a year, uh, which is insane to us. We, everything pivoted online. Luckily, we already had a website and quite a robust shipping operation already in the works, but it went gangbusters. So we really turned into like a little fish warehouse factory as opposed to more of a in-person type atmosphere. 
What was the supply like? Because actual fishing and fishing boats are almost impossible to socially distance on. Totally. Yeah. The processing facilities, you know, it's kind of like the meat industry where you've got these boats that are going out and catching fish all day and they're bringing fish back into shore. And you've got these big processing plants where the fish is getting processed. And that's where a lot of the issues arrived. So our fishermen were shipping us fish directly, Alaska Airlines cargo right to Seattle. We're picking the fish up and we're processing it all in-house. At this point, where would you say the market is in terms of kind of stage of recovery? Very early. I mean, here in Seattle, we're still masking up. We're being very cautious still, even though the mask mandates have been lifted. We're not quite sure yet which restaurants are coming back and which businesses are coming back. I would say, though, you know, there's probably 70% of the businesses are back open in some capacity here. They're creeping back open to serve the people, you know, towards the weekend. You mentioned that you guys haven't thrown a fish in over a year. Do you get out of practice? I mean, did you drop the first one? Uh, I did not drop the first one, but we thought it might be fun to do some like baseball style spring training videos of uh, us at the park, like throwing fish around, getting warmed up for when the fish throwing season finally comes back, hopefully at the end of June or early July. Ryan Reese, Pike Place Fish Market. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Naomi Shaven, Sabina Singani, and Jeannie Montalvo. Please be sure to leave us a review. And if you're not already following or subscribing to the podcast, do so. Have a great national grape popsicle day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap. <laughs>